Welcome to System Mastery, the other white podcast. I'm Jeff, my co-host John is here with me, and we are just as pleased as punch to bring you Cinnabar 3rd Edition. Will Raven Chumbawamba Songs McCracken streamline his bizarre masterpiece? Will it be more total, unabridged nonsense? Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockinest, rock-steady beat of RPG Madness. Welcome back to System Mastery. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm so good. I am thrilled to hear it. How have you been for the past couple of weeks? So bad. Oh, I'm sorry. You have been making me read this goddamn lunatic's scribblings, and I don't know what's going on anymore in my life. All right, you can't blame me. The podcast was my idea, but you've been doing it for two years now. We're partners in this. Yeah, but you're the one who said yes to the guy who said, let me give you Cinnabar. (laughs) Fair enough. So we have in our hot little hands Cinnabar 3rd Edition, published August of 2015, probably technically still in print, so sorry about violating the bylaws. Oh no, our rules, they were made to be broken. We're (laughs) loose cannons. I want your badge, your gun, and your motorcycle. Oh wait, I'm conflating two different genres here, hang on. Hold on, the Terminator is turning in his, oh wait, it's just Last Action Hero. (laughs) Alright, so Cinnabar 3rd Edition by Raven Counter-Strike McCracken. Yep. This is, uh, I was not expecting what I got out of this. So you, you go into it, yeah, and you know, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we actually managed to churn out three episodes about Cinnabar. Yeah, three, well, two and a half. Okay, one of them is 11 minutes long, and it's just reading the intro to Cinnabar. Which from- is the joy of Cinnabar 2nd Edition, or whatever, is just the the weird world. The weird, wonderful world of Raven Chicken Soup McCracken. Yeah. Raven Coalition States McCracken. Yeah. I, I mean, the real the first time we read a, a book like this, it felt like he just re- wrote from start to finish without stopping for any reason. Yeah, this it felt like a book that got pulled from his mind, and every time they were pulling and they stopped pulling for a second, he just lost the train of thought but kept going. Yeah. This, on the other hand, is just... It's like, I, I was telling John earlier, there's there's two metaphors for this that I've come up with just while reading it, because it's more fun than reading it. One of them is, it's like visiting your ailing, kind of degrading grandparent, mm-hmm. and for like a minute when you first meet them, it's kind of lucid, and you're like, oh, it's nice to meet you, and then they're like, I dated Calvin Coolidge, get away from my diapers, and you're like, what? I, I don't understand. You're not my grandson, you're a spider! That's That's what happens in this book. Yeah, It's just an instant descent from lucidity into insane madness. The other way I felt after reading this was that there was a point where, through some sort of arcane ritual, Raven children-stealing McCracken managed to summon eight more Raven C.S. McCrackens. And uh, what he did with them... Yeah, the Council of McCrackens. Yeah, the the Great Council of McCrackens. And then they determined which among them was the least McCracken and had him take notes. And then instead of transcribing those notes, they just published them directly. Yeah. It's uh, Raven Child Stuff McCracken was the one who took the notes for that. (laughs) Children Stuff McCracken. (laughs) That just sounds dirty. It does. 
And anyway, let's get right off to the beginning of this book, shall we? So we start out uh, right away. We get a foreword by Richard Garfield, Dr. Richard Garfield, PhD, MD, DDS. Hater of Mondays. He is the creator of Magic the Gathering, for those of you who did not know that. Oh yeah, Richard Garfield created Magic the Gathering. He's been disconnected from it for many, many years. Oh yeah. Well, he's gone on and made a bunch of different games. Uh, he's got some computer games, some card games, but he gives a almost ringing endorsement of this game in that it almost sounds like he's trying to find a way to be nice about it. He's just like, oh, you know... He's not trying to make this game for the masses. He's not a frustrated novelist. He's he's overflowing with excitement and love for the wonderful world of fantasy role-playing. I remember from so long ago. Perhaps he is a little mad. Creators often are. And it it almost feels like he's giving a final speech to a jury. You know, <laughs> perhaps he is a little mad, but aren't we all? Can you try that? I'm just a normal southern there it is lawyer you knew what i wanted uh i may not have these big city lawyer means but i know a good role-playing game when i see one (laughs) (laughs) it is both magic and science and not just the obligatory goblin steampunks that you yankees prefer (laughs) and isn't it true ladies and gentlemen of the jury that the plaintiff is from New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and may I remind the jury of my wife's fabulous peach cobbler. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's a little down home and homespun, but it's it's weird because that means that Richard Garfield at some point must have actually read at least part of this thing. Probably. Or probably the previous edition. I assume this has to have come from the previous edition. Yeah. But right under that, After that whole thing is a little note that says, This manual is written as if the reader has, and underlined, never played these types of games. The information presented in this volume shall be supplemented in future editions. Which means he thinks the crazy, raving nonsense that he has written down is what you would give to someone who has never seen a role-playing game before. Well, you know, for like the first four or five pages of this thing, that's almost right. Yeah, no, when it starts out, you were messaging me, and you're like, oh, have you uh, gotten into the Cinnabar yet? And I went, man, this seems like it's going to be a really easy read. Uh, It looks like he's really tightened up his systems. It flows well. I feel like he's turned a corner, and he's gotten on board with, like, the new millennium of game design. And I was like, what? I feel like you've only read read the first four or five pages, because after that section, it is the goddamn time cube. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, you start out, and it seems so simple. He gives you the introduction to combat before he gets into the full rules. Yeah. And the introduction to combat makes it sound like a modern game design. He goes, look, you got like four stats. You have fate, and fate is just your defense stat. You have shot, that's your offense stat. You have force, that's your damage stat, and then you've got uh, like your your advantage, which is just initiative. Yeah. And so it goes through how you do the combat. It's like, okay, you have a target number. Your target number is 60, you're rolling percentiles. You take whatever your bonus is, so if I've got a shot of plus 15, then I roll my percentile dice, add 15. If I get 60 or above, 
I hit. Super easy, right? Yeah, makes perfect sense. And if you're trying to hit someone else, their fate becomes the target number you're trying to hit with your percentile. So they roll a fate... And they go, oh, I've got a fate of 60 this turn. And you say, okay, now I have to roll a 60 or higher. After well, no, it's, my... it's, uh, they have to roll their oh, fate against okay, your... Sure, I'm sorry, I have it backwards. Yeah, so they yeah. Roll, you'd roll to hit them. You have to beat a 60 to hit them. Yeah. So let's say total I rolled a 75. They would roll uh, fate and then try to beat 75. Yes, to avoid damage. Yeah. And, and then if they if don't, you, if, yeah. if you get hit, then you don't even roll damage. You just take the amount of damage listed. At least yeah. in this opening section. In the opening section, it's like, look, this weapon does five points of damage, and you've got a force of 15. You do 20 points of damage when you hit, period, done. Yeah, and then they, they expand it a little bit, or he expands it a little bit. He, he takes some training wheels off of your bike made of training wheels. And he goes, look, there's the constitution. And constitution, instead of being something that affects your hit points, is essentially power points you spend the game uses it like mana or brownie points or karma points that you'd see in other things yeah but essentially you spend a point and it can either give you plus five to a roll per point Mm -hmm. or it can increase your damage multiplicatively right because at first this is the weirdest first thing you learn in that opening chapter is if you don't spend any constitution at all on damage you deal half damage well, you deal half your force. Half your force and damage. If you spend one constitution, you get your full force. Yeah, and then from there, you can spend two for double your force or three for triple your force and damage. Yes. So if I had a force of 15, I could spend uh, three constitution and go up to 45 damage or And then whatever. still add the damage of the weapon. Yeah. So you can end up doing a lot of damage or very little damage. It seems kind of swingy. But at that point... You go, all right, well, that's sort of an interesting mechanic because it makes spending your points on damage something that seems worthwhile. Because normally in these games, when you look at it and it's, oh, you can either be more accurate or more damaging. Do you want to put points in dexterity or strength? It's always dexterity because when you hit someone, even if you do less damage than someone else with a high strength would do, you're hitting them more often. So aggregate, you're going to end up doing more. Yeah, and... Every game is really built these days on what secondary riders you inflict just by hitting. Oh, yeah. So you want to be able to daze them or paralyze them or whatever you're going to do. Put poison on them, whatever your trick is. So dexterity has become king in so many games. So it was actually kind of neat to see a game where that might not be the case because the equivalent ma- amount of resource you invest in, in damage generates so much extra damage. Oh, yeah. Oh. And if you roll above your target number by a lot, like if I spend four constitution points and go... I'm going to get plus 20 to this roll. I really want to hit. I'm still doing half of the damage from my force plus the weapon. So even though I hit, great, doesn't really matter all that much. Yeah, it was almost kind of a neat concept. I mean, it, it, the opening chapter between, what are their names? Soon-to-die uh, and... Kark, C-A-R-C, so Kark and yeah. Soon-to-die, all one word, soon Toady. I got to be honest, I read it as soon Toady until the very end, and I was like, oh, it's soon-to-die. I get it. <laughs> okay, he doesn't even die in the description, so it's not like it's apt. But then again, I, I, I thought his name was Soon Toady, and I was like, that's a weird opening name. The other weird thing that this gives you, just in the opening bit, is their initiative system, the advantage, yeah. is if you win advantage, you get one extra action. Yeah, and actions in this game, by the way, are the first hint of the kind of cracks in the veneer over the sheer ball of madness that the game is oh yeah because it, when you look at the initiative chart like when you go it's like oh everything takes place over a second and you can have anywhere between one and seven attacks during that second and and on action or 
you'll have to go the same time as your opponent several times, but if you're faster, you'll also go on times they don't go. And you can spend some of your actions to, to uh, defend against things instead of... It, it just goes crazy real fast right there. Well, the at least with that one, it goes, oh, everyone to start has one action. That's all you have. The guy who goes first gets an extra action. Yeah. So it makes it so spending your constitution or your XP or whatever on going first really good, which... It already is normally super good to be the first one to go because you can alpha. Mm-hmm. But in this, it makes it even more devastating because not only do you get the ability to go first, but you get an extra action on top of it for the first round of combat, not every round. Yeah, yeah. So, initiative is very, very important. But anyway, after that, we kind of turn the page. Yeah, after that, you get like a four-page... Uh, weird story, story where a little boy goes wandering through a jungle or something, and, and, and he's real sad about going to his favorite place. The writing style in these short stories is sort of just grab an adjective out of the bin and use it. Don't worry about looking to see if it's the right adjective. Yeah, <laughs> I I still love my favorite sentence in this, which is just chilled. Tarlin was unable to contain the tears of frustration as he trudged the rest of the way to his favorite place. And I'm just imagining a little kid who's like, oh, I love Chuck E. Cheese so much. Oh, I have to go to Chuck E. Cheese and I'm cold by my tears. <laughs> and then right before that is the line about how he's caught in a warm spring rain that chills him or something. Oh yeah, a cloudburst found him. <laughs> cloudburst found him. This is Eeyore, isn't it? Yeah, that's this, exactly this, what it is. This character is just Eeyore who's got a little strong sad in him and is like, oh, I'm sad that I'm going to Chuck E. Cheese. And so that's the very beginning. You read that, it's the intro to the game, and like I had said, this is only, what, like 15 pages in. So I'm like, dude, I've read 15 pages, this game is tight, he's got his shit together, I cannot wait. I may end up giving a decent review to Cinnabar. There's even a part in that story where I was like, hey, I remember some of this from Cinnabar. I hope that this gets rewritten into it so that it makes sense. As he introduces the adventurers into the story, and there's a wizard and a giant cat guy. And I'm like, okay, cat guy's kind of new. I don't remember giant cat guys from the last game, but but I can roll with that. I'm sure that he just added animal people to his game. That's fine. And a winged warrior is there. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't call herself that. She calls herself an Alorian or something, and they gave her metal wing blades, but... But, but, you know... I know a winged warrior when I see one. And, and I see you, one, sir. I see one every Thursday when she performs with the salty uh, mixed nuts. <laughs> the assaulted nuts. The assaulted nuts <laughs> down at the local chuckle bucket. Uh, improv. That's what they do. They improv. Not in this book. In this book, they're boring. No, everyone in, is super boring in this book. But, yeah, you, you get past that intro, and then you hit the game overview, and it goes off the goddamn rails <laughs> completely and like we were saying earlier it's it's exactly <clears throat> like reading the notes that that raven uh chicken stuff mccracken was trying to <laughs> trying to uh come up with for a book that i guess he had to publish because he ran out of time because i'm gonna go ahead and say this this guy does not know what commas are or do no he also introduces the term once we get past oh, that yeah, let's get that is that. the worst which is cogency. Cogency is going to be used over and over so much that it sort of stopped having a meaning to me. Like, cogency has been pontypooled for me. Oh, yeah. It's been it's turned into scuba. Oh, yeah. I'm scuba. just like, scuba. Scuba. I used to have that with the word pool. I'd be like, pool. 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 What is a pool? That's a weird <laughs> word for something, isn't it? Pool. pool. And then you just sit there and go, 
oh my god, I I can't I can't tell that this word has meaning anymore. <laughs> that's what that's what cogency is. Except in this case, you're probably right that cogency doesn't really have any meaning. To give you the basic super definition of this, it's uh, for, force of power. It's kind of the amount of power in any given thing is the cogency of it. Even then, it's like how how good is something? That's its cogency rating. Like, is it is it strong or is it willful or is it good at the thing it's supposed to be? The things in this game <clears throat> that have cogency ratings include your capability to resist magic. That's your co- your cogency mass. Cogency mass, and then also the force and power of individual spells, and that's just cogency. And then also the integrity and strength of inanimate objects. So, for example, a door has a certain amount of cogency before it can be broken down. The degree to which a vacuum is actually a vacuum instead of having particulate matter in it because you have a mass measure of cogency for vacuums. Also, of the brightness of light, that is also a cogency rating. Yeah, no, literally everything in this, just if he, when he wanted to write something, instead of saying, oh, this thing is powerful or this thing has a large amount of whatever. He goes, oh no, I need to put a new thing for cogency in here. Cogency is my code word for, I wanted to write a formula for this. I feel like he was going to go back and do a find and replace on the term cogency and write in things that actually made sense. Yeah, he just ran out of time. Yeah, he was like, okay, I'm just going to use cogency. It's a placeholder. I'll go back. I'll find and replace cogency. This cogency means hit points. This cogency means this. This cogency means that. And you're like, oh no. No, he just completely lost his mind and not stopped caring. Yeah. So cogency is, oh gosh, it's part of the character creation. So there's at least one more kind of cool innovation to talk about in character creation for this, which is that when you're building your character's stats, and your character's stats, by the way, aren't normal stats for a character. They're, they're, they're things like fate avoid and fate sacrifice. Oh yeah, back when I was saying that you only had a few stats and it was just like fate or shot or yeah. uh, force... Well, now you have like five different fate rolls, depending on what you want to do. Yeah, and there's four shot rolls yeah. and so on. So there's a lot of different stats, but they all look very similar. And you build them by buying them with, with your character's combination of, of XP and hit points, which is called merit. And your merit is both your hit points, because however many life points you have is based on your merit. Mm-hmm. So the more XP you get, you just automatically get HP for it. That's kind of neat. That's that's fine. Uh, you also Buy. use merit to determine cogency for yourself. Like your cogency mass is based on merit. It's, it's one tenth of your of your uh, starting life <laughs> points. So every character in this game, except for the really small ones, because they'll get half values on these. Uh, every character in this game has two hundred merit to spend on non combat functionality. 100 merit to spend on combat functionality and because that totals to 300 merit you have 300 life points and because your cogency mass or your ability to resist negative magical effects is 10% of your merit is 10% of your merit you have also 30 cogency mass mass which you have to put mass on the end or else people will be confused although items have cogency mass and their cogency mass is completely different from a player's cogency mass which is magic resistance, whereas an item's cogency mass is its ability to, withstand, to resist damage. To, to withstand damage. So, for example, near the end of the book, there's a bank that's listed. where It's one of those things where he wanted to give something stats where he could have just said it's impossible to get this. So he was like, their safety deposit boxes at this bank have millions of cogency! Which is, you know, shorthand for you cannot break in here no matter what. 
Except he just goes on for like three paragraphs about how incredible these bank vaults are when he could have just said, don't let your players get in there. Oh, yeah. No, he could have just said, this is the most protected bank on the planet. No one can get in there. Just if your players attempt to rob from this bank, have them be stopped. But no, he's like, oh, fucking angels protect each and every box. There is a laser beam grid that will destroy any who look upon it. The boxes are probably in a different dimension or planet or something. There are keys to the boxes, but they are fake keys made of antimatter that will destroy you. (laughs) Half the boxes are fake boxes. They contain pizza. The pizza is poisoned. (laughs) Uh, And then the last thing when it's talking about the game overview, which... Actually a fun thing that I like, and I've seen in some other games do this, is that it has a flashback bonus to a roll. So if you're rolling for something and say you're like, oh, I want to climb that mountain. So you're doing a climbing roll and you fuck up and you're going to die. You're like, oh man, I'm like almost at the top of this mountain and then a bird attacked me and now I got a roll for climbing. And you're like, I need to be a 60. I got a 45. You can do a flashback story where you tell a story from your character's past about how they learned something pertinent to what's going on, and then you get a bonus to your role. I I like that too. I think that's a neat idea. Yeah, so like the one they give is a climbing one, and then it's the flashback example of, this reminds me of the time when I was climbing Mount Athelion in the Lost Continent. Did I mention I used to be a tour guide for a summer back when I was in school? And so it goes on on that, and I go, okay, that's interesting. You give your character a fleshed-out backstory in exchange for not dying. That's useful. That's that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I think that's pretty clever. So, hey, there are a couple of good ideas buried around in here. So, with your 200 starting merit, you can buy points in Fate, Fate Avoidance, Fate Sacrifice, Fate Dodge, blah, blah, blah. You can also buy a race and a guild in which to begin. Oh, you have to. You have 200 points that are only for race and guild. Yeah. I think you can also spend them on individual skills and powers and stuff like that. Oh, you got 50 points for skills, you got 50 points for combat stats, and 200 for your race class. All right, well, that kind of makes sense, given how expensive some of them are. There are about, I don't even know how to describe how many races there are here, but there are several. In fact, I'm just going to read them off real quick and uh, see if any of these strike you as especially memorable, John. (laughs) So we've got the Alentian, the Alorian, the Amazon, the Anaday, the Aquarians, the Arachman, Armored Mantis... Batman, Baravan, Biosynthesyborg, Ooh, bi- Biosynthesyborg, back again, Bioglodite, Katar, Chameleon Drake, C- Dwarves, Elves, Flymen, uh, Giant, Gnome, Hal- Haliathian, Human, Loter, Neosapien, Pantherian, Ravishem, Skarok, Tenjo Husen, Vanguardian, Vlad, Warchild, and Weremen. Well, I can recognize about six or seven of those from original Cinnabar. Yeah, and a couple from reading through this time and laughing at the dumb shit they added to them. Notably, Alorian is the old the new name for Winged Warriors. Yeah. So that's well, pretty easy. The Aquarians and the Biosynthesyborg, the Chameleon Drakes, and the uh Dwarves and Elves. Dwarves gnomes. Elves and the Weremen. Yeah, those like are all, all that I remember from the other one. Yeah. We just added a bunch of weird weird shit into this most of them are just animal people which is weird and that's fine lots of fantasy things have the sort of animal man whatever but he has at least 
half of these are just animal guys. Yeah, your so pantherians are... Well, you're talking raccoon from the other thing. The loter, yeah. The, You've uh, got mantis people and batman and so on. The tenjo Husin, which is frog people. But then he also added in anidae. And the anidae are just a catch-all, you-are-an-anthropomorphic animal. Mm-hmm. So he added in a catch-all, anthropomorphic animal race... And then just added in 10 other races that are anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. There are a bunch of new ones, in fact. The Batman, in particular, I thought were kind of interesting and worth talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. Their parents are dead. <laughs> I, I had some trouble reading the Batman at first because of the way he... His interesting writing style. Just to give you a, a taste of this. Batman, and then in parentheses, Heska. Human-sized bats. Wingspan. Twice height. Merit, 25. Within the Batman are several races. Special sensitivity, mild. Heska must remain in darkness for 10 hours every 120 hours. If a Heska is denied darkness, the Heska's enhanced sight begins to diminish at a rate of 5 points every 24 hours after the first 120. This reduction remains until the subject remains in the darkness for 10 consecutive hours. The enhanced sight returns within 1d4 hours after this time. The subject rolls the 1d4. Good. Why, why, why do we need to know who rolls that d4? That's just, uh, whatever. Bach, write it. Okay, very next thing. Baka. It's not like I like you or anything. Tiny bat pets. Parentheses 1 plus 1 d4. 1 life point. 1 cogency mass. Plus 10 fates. The bats communicate with the owner. <laughs> and then, Magachi. Skills. Music. 2 instruments. Plus may consume 2 blood oranges or silver, silver apples every 24 hours. Man, I can consume way more than 2 blood oranges every 24 hours. I know, you give me a bag of blood oranges, I will give you back a bag. <laughs> Those are good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to eat any of the blood oranges, but I will give you back the bag. I'm just conscientious like that. Yeah. Okay, and then, <laughs> Nat Baca, plus one thousand, not like I don't like you or anything, plus one thousand dollars and a sailboat, <laughs> five meters, plus one D6 meters in length. Special skill, piloting boats. Oh boy. <laughs> you get a randomly sized sailboat. <laughs> Yay, my sailboat is at least six meters Possibly 11 meters. Anywhere between 18 and 33 feet, Americans. Yay. Cairo. Cairo Heska. Feed off of blood only. 1% weight daily. Racial ability. Venom paralysis. See page 53. Man, there is so much see page whatever in this as well. Well, also, it doesn't really tell you. What's 1% weight daily? I guess you're supposed to eat 1% of your own body weight in blood daily. You feed off of blood only, and you have to get 1% of your weight daily in blood. Don't you do his work for him. These, these sentences are horribly constructed. Yeah, well, the, the problem is, like, that, that's supposed to be sort of a drawback. Okay, you have to feed off of blood only. You have to have a 1% of it in your weight daily, but it gives you venom paralysis. And you're like, okay, well, you're trading off essentially a uh, skill package or a merit and flaw within your own race. But a lot of them, almost all of them really, have some weird restriction. Most of them dietary restrictions, like the blood thing, or like the uh, the Berevins, who are just Tibetan monks. Oh, That's yeah. all they are. They're they're pretty great. I think they're definitely worth talking about. First of all, they are the most expensive race you can purchase. They cost one hundred of your two hundred starting merit. Yeah, and they are human only Tibetan. Yeah, so they're that's that, how, that's not me saying oh they're human only they're Tibetans. The the listing right after Berevins, comma human. Only Tibetan. Yeah, and that's actually correct. Human only dash Tibetan. So who knows what that exactly means? Again, this isn't. This didn't change the setting at all. 
this is still set on the stretched out carcass of Mars orbit uh, that's orbiting a far off planet and now apparently moving around a lot. And it's set millions of years from now after humanity has expanded and contracted and expanded and contracted on the surface of this thing for tens of millions of years. And yet there are still specifically Tibetans. Yeah. And to remain alive, they are all addicted to the Tamsungong petals. And these flowers have weird petals that stave off old age, so they live for a really long time. And if you don't get your petals, you're you're going to die of old age within 1d20 hours. And hey, subject rolls the d20. And that's you go, good. wow, damn, okay, that is that is quite the drawback. That's probably to make up for how powerful they are and their weird cost, right? That would yeah, make sense. Yeah, well, you know, Berevins have four flowers to start. Wow, only four flowers? Oh, each large daisy-like flower produces 100 thin white petals. Uh, okay, so 400 petals. Uh, how often do I have to have this? Once every 120 consecutive hours. So once every five days, you have to eat one petal out of your 400 starting petals. Oh, well, how hard is it to find this? It's a dollar per 50 petals, and the in-stock percentage is 100%. So basically what happens is eventually you'll hit a point where you have to buy for a dollar half a flower every... 250 days. Yeah. So like every year you're going to spend about a buck 50 to not, not the, die of old age. Yeah. Notably, they make you start at age 100 because my first thought when I was reading this was, well, okay, I'll just play a young one of these guys and I'll suffer the penalty of being 20. <laughs> oh, I'm 20. This is the worst. I oh, can't no. drink. But no, you start at 100 if you're playing a bear oven. And if you're wondering... Because so far, we haven't really said anything about them that makes them seem like they'd be worth spending more merit points on purchasing than anyone else. That's because there really isn't anything. They get some good bonuses to their kind of stat spread array. Well, yeah, they're they're better at combat because they get a plus 20 dodge and a plus 20 shot in hand-to-hand. Yeah. That's all you're getting out of them, though. There's no there's no super cool magic power. In fact, their only racial ability is blind fighting. Yeah. Which, okay, that's fine. But I don't remember anywhere in this book where it says what happens if you're blind but that's probably because it's impossible to read this book this book is poorly laid out and thought out and written (laughs) yeah Uh, but you like i was super excited for at least one of them the biosynthesizborg just because of the name and because of its tie to the old one Mm -hmm. i was like neat that's cool uh and you can become that uh, they can appear to be any race or species. Yeah, because they're robot men. Yeah. So you can build them to look like whatever you want. Notably, this game does a little more in the separating races and guilds. You now get a race and a guild. In the previous edition, dwarf was a guild. Oh, yeah. You could be a dude who trained with dwarves and be a dwarf. Yeah, you're a trained dwarf, even though you are not a dwarf. Yeah, and that the was... same thing with, like, uh, Tiger Man was just you trained to be a martial artist, but... Then you had, like, the Aquarians, and you could train to be an Aquaman. Yeah, or you could take an an Aquaman and train to be a Tiger Man. Yeah, it's weird. It was weird. This game actually separates the two a little more cleanly. But, uh, yeah, the the weird thing is you get a shitload of stuff by being a biosynthesizborg, but it costs less than a Berevin for no good goddamn reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, Who knows? I I feel like you almost might have done it by rarity instead of by uh, actual value. 
Anyway, there are a whole bunch of these dumb races, and almost all of them have that, that allergy thing where they have to eat something once every 120 hours or they, something bad happens to them. And in some of them, it's just jokes. Like, dwarves need to drink a beer every 120 hours or they start losing their dwarf powers. Oh, good. And beers are cheap, of course, just as cheap as everything else. There's also the Pantherian, which is basically a big cat guy, like a, like a tiger man. They, it says, special allergy problem, severe. All Pantherians are carnivores only. They are addicted to Kango root. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, but it's not an actual root. That's an animal. Kangaroo. The kangaroo. Yeah, it's also a well-known character actor. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Stephen Kangaroo. Yeah, uh, every one of these guys is addicted to eating at least three Stephen Kangaroos <laughs> every five days where he loses all of his wonderful memories of news radio. Yeah. The other thing you can be is half-breed. So you can just take two of these and slam them together if you really want to. Got to play his share. That's fine. Yep, so uh, <laughs> you can uh, not be some of them. So like a biosynthesis cyborg, you can't be half cyborg. Yeah, you can't be half cyborg, even though by definition cyborgs are half cyborg. But whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, and then a few of the other ones. And then if you want to be half centaur, if you mix with any quadruped race, you get a centaur. So if you're like, oh, I mixed with whatever panther men that run around on all fours, then I'm half panther on the bottom, and then I'm top of a guy. There are a couple of the races that, to start, have two <clears throat> arms and four legs. The, the armored mantis is an example of that, which is basically a centaur race. There are a couple others. I think there's at least one mammalian one, which is like you were like a Weemick or something, where you have a lion lower half and a man upper half. It is really hard to get anything but the occasional oblique weirdness out of these races. There are so many, and they're so boring. Like, the bioglodite is just a heavy-set extraterrestrial. That's the only de definition you get. Good, they great. Have, they have white hair. And then you get these outliers, like the Ravishem, which are bad guys, sort of. And they are described as being born with scarred-up wrists and white, uh, stringy, long hair. So they're born as emo cutter types. Oh, also, they have transparent teeth. Yeah, so that's is, that's good. What the transparent teeth? What the hell does that even look like? Is it? Oh, is it, it just mostly or? looks like you're in the Ozarks, is what I, it looks I, like. Yeah, I was gonna say these are like the Emozarks. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Emozarks. <laughs> well, howdy, y'all! I feel the pain. <laughs> what the hell is going on with this thing? Transparent teeth is not terrifying. It's just goofy looking. And uh, in the old Cinnabar, we also had the Immortals, where you could like have a. 0.0001% chance of being immortal. Oh yeah, you had to roll this chance to see if you were chosen of gods or something. It was, And yeah, you had to roll like 6d10, and if they were all zeros, then you were, and you got way better stats. And in this, it's someone can be immortal if the uh, your fate, which the fact that your stat is called fate, and then the guy who runs the game is called fate as well, terrible. It'd be like if I had a stat called Dungeon Master. <laughs> Roll your dungeon master to see if you can master this dungeon. Oh, good, thanks. I'm glad that's a stat. But fate can choose to start you with double the starting merit, and you can add... Normally, you only get to add 20 to any combat stat. They can add up to 40, and then they get tainted with god power or Vindrant Nalabirong. Oh, my. It's been a long time since we talked about Vindrant Nalabirong. Oh, that Nalabirong, he's grown up all Vindrant-like. <laughs> Ooh, he's raising the brutal little ones. 
They're gorgeous. <laughs> Venderit Nalabirong is one of this game's forms of magic. Uh, this book seems to have downplayed the differences between types of magic that were such a big deal in the previous Cinnabar. When the last game spent a lot of time telling you that, for example, only god power can defeat Venderit Nalabirong, and only Venderit Nalabirong can defeat all other forms of magic, and then each form of magic defeats any other form of magic, and Venderit Nalabirong is a language that no one can learn. Yeah. And all this other stuff. In this book, Venderit Nalabirong just shows up once or twice as sort of a a little descriptive term, and it's like he's just tried to downplay that whole thing. Which is weird, because he's like, oh yeah, it still exists, I've put that in there, and... Maybe you get tainted with Vendor Nalabirong, and now you can do weird power spells. Oi, me farm got tainted, tainted with Vendor Nalabirong for a season. Oi, <laughs> the dingoes came in, but then the Vendor Nalabirongs came. It was all to hell. They <laughs> ran them off. <laughs> and then came the cassowaries. <laughs> and then the toads. <laughs> Eventually, we named a cricket team the Nalabirongs. Oh, yes. Oh, dude, how much do you want that to be a thing? A cricket team named the Nalabirongs? Yeah. I need a rugby. town called Vendorant to have a team okay. with Nalabirongs. Attention, Australian listeners. Attention all, I don't know, two Australian listeners that are still here after we are butchering your accent. <laughs> Get out into the outback and form a town called Vendorant. Then start a rugby team called the Nalabirongs. Please and thank you. Thank you so much. That would be great. Just let us know when you're done, and we will send you, uh, I don't know, some bottle caps or something. Whatever I've got lying <laughs> yeah, around. some bottle caps. What is this, fallout? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, no. What do Australians want from me? <laughs> what do you dirty savages want? Do you want some Irishmen? I can send you some of those. <laughs> no, they're already full enough of criminals. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> History. <laughs> So, yeah, so after you get your race, which gives you a bunch of goofy crap that you get out of there, you get to pick your guild. The guilds are the classes of this game. And it's mostly just skill packages. Yeah. So it'll be like, all right, you pick Alchemist. Well, that's going to give you a plus five to your concentration and a plus one to hearing and a plus five to your intelligence, which intelligence is a skill, not a stat. Once again, Oh my god, name your things correctly. There's a lot of things in this game that are skills that would have just been stats in other games. So when you read through and you look at the character sheet, you're like, oh, look at that, this is kind of progressive. The only stats in this are your combat stats, your chances to hit and not be hit and so on. I guess he just left the rest of it up to roleplay. And then you look at the skills, and the skills include things like like sensing and intelligence, and the wisdom equivalent is called incredulity. Oh yeah, the fact that he named a skill incredulity, I'm like, nice. Yeah. So all of the old D&D stats have just been rolled into skills for some reason. Oh, yeah. I think there is actually an agility skill as well. There is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be your chance to balance and so on. It doesn't have anything to do with combat. No, but you have all of these stats that just got turned into skills. And then, of course, constitution, which has nothing to do with anything and is your power points. It's probably worth noting that we never even mentioned this before, that there was something in this game called a constitution gate. Yeah, so there's how much constitution you can spend in a round which to start out with is five. Yeah, you can spend up to five of your constitution in a round, and then your constitution refreshes from a pool at a rate of five per second, but your pool does not refresh. So eventually, within the course of about four seconds of combat, you can run yourself out of constitution in this game. Yeah, it takes, what, ten seconds to start? Because everyone starts with fifty. 
yeah, you start with 50 constitution, and you can spend up to five a second. So in 10 seconds, you can be done adventuring for the day. Yeah, you also get two willpower. And your willpower, again, not a stat. It's just another token you have. And you get two willpower tokens, and each token represents spending five constitution. So it's if you want a huge burst to something, you can spend that, and it doesn't count as spending constitution, which means you can throw your token in there, plus spend five constitution to go, whatever the hell I was doing, I really wanted it to happen. So I'm going to spend the effectively ten on this. One of the things that's notable about the Constitution Gate, looking like it really kind of limits the amount of day you can spend doing things, and it's a, it's a hard limit, so it's supposed to keep you honest with your, your character combat and not just throw maximum everything at everything every turn. Uh, one of the things I found interesting about that is that one of the items you can buy in this game is an orange. That yeah, you the blood eat. orange. The blood orange, which it's just part of his habit of taking regular words that already have very clear and delineated meanings and turning them into magic things. Oh yeah. As soon as it was like, Oh, you can eat a blood orange. I went, who gives a fuck? Anyone can can eat a blood orange. This bat can eat two blood oranges a day. What a crazy bat. And it turns out that no, you can only eat one blood orange a day in Cinnabar after the second, after the first blood orange, they don't do anything anymore. Normally what they do is completely refill your constitution. Yeah. So if you had spent your 50 constitution for the day, you can eat some oranges and it's K. Yeah. Now, these oranges cost $50. Yeah, but, $50 for an orange. But the thing is, after your first big score, you've got thousands. I mean, you start the game with $5,000 to spend. So you have tons of these friggin' oranges. Yeah, and you can probably find a guy on a freeway off-ramp who will just sell you a bag of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're around the L.A. equivalent in Cinnabar, <laughs> you're going to buy a couple bags of oranges. You're going to have yourself so many extra constitution every day. <laughs> Most of the food in this game works like that. One of them refills your willpower. That's yep. the silver apple. The silver apple gives you some willpower back, so you get your two willpower points a day. Yeah. One of the I mean, look, we're at forty minutes in, and we haven't even talked about like the power structure or any of the classes. Well, meh. Ah, this game. Okay, so there's a bunch of classes, and they're all just skill packages. They include things like tank, which is the naval command people. Okay, let me also real quick say one of my other favorite things from the descriptions of all the classes is all of them have a principle, which is, oh, what does this class want to do? What about the Earth Warden Guild? Principles, to protect the world ship's inhabitants from harm. Mage Tiger Guild, to protect the world ship's inhabitants from harm. The Mage Warrior Guild, to protect the world ship's inhabitants from harm. Because they're the good guys. You can also play as a couple different types of bad guys, I guess. They're just straight up worse classes. <clears throat> so if you want to play as, I think it's a Baryan Pirate. Oh, yeah, if you're one of the asshole ones where you're like, oh, what are you? I'm in the Assassin's Guild. Okay, great. Then my principle is to provide a quality service for the contractor willing to pay. Yeah. And then you've got Berean Pirate, which is just pirate. It's just a worse version of the Navy class, the tanks. Or you can play as Blood Mages, which are the Ravishem class. They're evil mages. And their principle is to conquer and rule the world ship's inhabitants. Yeah, so you've just got good guys and bad guy classes. That work the same, except the bad guy classes are slightly worse. And we retain the aura instead of the uh, actual system for your alignment. So it goes uh, from gold to crimson, I think, or scarlet. Yeah, scarlet. like that, yeah. So scarlet to gold, and that's the from... Scarlet is psychopath, and gold is puritanical, and then you've got a bunch in between. However, reading it, it was like, okay, gold, law-abiding, only harms in self-defense... Exceptions, kills psychopaths, harms sociopaths, will not follow laws that protect psychopaths or sociopaths. And when I read that, I had not gotten down to the point where it said that Red was a sociopath and Scarlet is psychopath. I just thought it was, 
if a good character comes across a guy who has a mental condition, he'll straight up murder that guy. What, what I don't get is, okay, you'll kill psychopaths and harm sociopaths. Are you a psychologist? Yeah. Like, how do you know? It's like, oh, here. This is like this game's version of Batman just wandering around making people take online tests. <laughs> hey, so uh, so the, this woman goes to a, a funeral, and there's a really cute guy there, and then three weeks later, her sister dies. Why did her sister die? And if you answer, she killed her to meet that guy again, then you're a sociopath and I could kill you. <laughs> yeah, except unfortunately it just means that's the other title they give to it. So, uh, gray and red are both sociopath. So, if you can see uh, the aura, oh, like, yeah, oh look, your aura is gray. I know you're a sociopath. Woo! Of course, the truth is, the, so- the uh, auras in this game can and do change easily. There is actually an item you can eat to change your aura. Yeah, so if you're killing someone because they are currently gray, then maybe you're the sociopath. You oh, yeah. Think of that, Mr. Gold? Well, the fact there's also a condition you can get that is aura flux, where you can't control what your aura becomes. Yeah. So you just essentially have weird, not quite multiple personalities, but you can't control how you are going to be, so... One day you might be super moralistic, and the next day you might be killing puppies. But you can't control it until you eat that item that lets you change your alignment. Effectively. So it means if somebody who's gold finds somebody who's scarlet, and you're like, you're evil. And instead of going, hey man, eat this item to make you not evil, he's like, no, I'm going to straight up stab that fool. What? It doesn't make it. This is one of those great examples. Again, a real problem in this book is this guy taking real world words... And making them into stats with just no regard for how it looks. Oh, yeah. Because that means that your your gold guy, your guy who's like supposed to be the best guy, who sp- walks around killing so- sociopaths and psychopaths without feeling bad about it. He's like, well, I'm supposed to. I'm a gold aura. I kill sociopaths all the time. That's what I do. Like, you are a sociopath. You kill without remorse. That's what that is. Nope, I'm not that because sociopaths are stat in this game. Uh. One of the spells in this game drove me insane because it's a, it's it's for the earth power. And it's your choice of creating water. You can create two types of water. Oh, boy. The types of water you can create are normal water or pure water. Oh, so I guess that's normal water and bottled water that you sell for a markup to idiots? No, because in this game, pure water is acid. (laughs) Of course it is. Of course, pure water means acid. Yeah, it means super powerful acid. Good. Great. I love it. Yeah. I love everything Why about that. Why would you that. name acid pure water? I mean, I understand it's a cute thing that you might do in a comic book about an alternate universe or something, which this, I guess this sort of is, but still, that is insanely confusing from a gaming perspective. Well, yeah, you go, okay, someone tells you, did you know water is a solvent? It's great for that. And you go, oh, well, I guess pure water would be a great solvent to dissolve anything like no no stop that no don't don't. that's not how that works that's just stupid why are you saying that all it is is a gotcha trap for your players they're gonna be like you find a vial of pure water upon the ground oh okay well i'm kind of thirsty i'll I'll drink some water then Uh, cinnabar water is acid you die that's not really the tone that this book is written in so well no this book does not have a tone because i think the tone of this book is madman scrabbling to put everything down he possibly can think of. Yeah, as fast as he can, because he's only going to get one chance to publish. Just one opportunity. <laughs> to write everything you ever wanted. Uh, yeah. Raven Mom's Spaghetti Kraken. 
Oh, Christ. Okay, so um, another spell that was definitely worth talking about before we give up for the day here is the Turn Matter to Mist Crystal spell. Which I have in front of me because it's the best thing that's ever existed. It gives you an idea of exactly how hard it is to read this game. John, go ahead. Tell me all about Turn Matter into Mist Crystals. Okay, so you uh, you have the power base, which is sort of like the fourth edition power, uh, like where your thing comes from. So alchemy is a power base, and then like earth power is a power base, whatever. So... Casting time, the ability transforms matter at a rate of 10 cogency points per second. Okay. The effect affects 1 kilo per cogency point. Wait a minute, but I thought it transformed matter at a rate of 10 cogency points per second. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay, because cogency points is a thing that matter has, but but also kilograms are a thing matter matter has... Co- but it's my cogency, not the, not the matter's cogency. I don't even... Cogency. 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 <laughs> Cogency? So this ability transforms any matter, any matter, into a white mist, and then compresses it into a small crystal that, once broken, releases the matter for it to reform. So, the breaker supplies the constitution and directs the mist's effects. Each crystal functions once, and you cannot store an alchemist crystal in an alchemist crystal... And if 10 crystals are carried by a subject, they begin to hum. If more than 10 crystals are carried, they ring loud, loudly for a minute, then shatter, disgorging the contents. So let's ask a couple of quick questions, first of all. I heard you say, while we were discuss- <clears throat> while you were t- reading that, that the breaker of the crystal is responsible for supplying the constitution. Yes. There's only one constitution cost associated with casting mist crystal. It has a constitution cost of one. Does that mean that the person who breaks the crystal open has to cast the spell, and that the person who cast the spell in the first place to put the thing in the mist crystal can do it for free? You'd think maybe that would be the point of doing that, except it's based on your cogency, and your cogency is based on your constitution times the merit you've spent on the spell, which means you have to spend something in order to have a cogency rating. Otherwise... Your cogency is zero because it's zero spent and zero times anything would be zero. So what you're telling me is that the, the cost to cast this spell is E. Yes. And the cost to end this spell is one. Yes. Okay, that's great. Uh, second question. Uh, since there's no limit to the things you can turn into mist crystals, does that mean you can just walk around turning everything you encounter into a mist crystal? Yes, that is correct. That is definitely a thing you can do. You can be an alchemist who wanders around town and just spends all of his constitution in a day, plus a blood orange, turning the town into mist crystals. Like, okay. you just walk up to someone's horse, mist crystal. Walk up to someone's barn, mist crystal. Okay, second question. Since it costs constitution to break the mist crystals open to get the thing out of them, does it cost constitution to put 11 of them in the same space and then just wait a minute? <laughs> no. I think if you had a bunch of things that you wanted to store... And then break out at once. Like, say you have a bunch of camping gear. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, tent, mist crystal. This park bench, mist crystal. Fire pit, mist crystal. And you do all that. Mm-hmm. You then Keep them take in one those. bag of five and one bag of six. Yeah, you, ha- you hand a bag of six to someone. You hold on to a bag of five. And as soon as you want to put camp together, you put all 11 of them together until they vibrate for a minute and then explode into a campsite. Yeah, for free. For free. In- <laughs> instead of for the constitution value. Yeah. Wow. Yep, congratulations. We're already breaking this dumb game that doesn't matter. 
What stops me from throwing a grenade with a pin pulled, putting it into a mist crystal, and then <laughs> keeping six of those in one bag and five of them in another bag, and then just throwing the bag of mist crystals to someone to wait? <laughs> just being like, hey man, I got you these mist crystals. It's a, it's a full camping set. Well, that unfortunately, that trick does not work, because each mist crystal has a tiny picture of the thing that's in it. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I, I wish I didn't know that, but I do know that. It's true that each mist crystal has a tiny picture. Oh my god, you know what that needs? Someone taking the skill of painting, painting a picture of them giving someone the middle finger, and then putting it in a mist crystal and go, look, I got you this, and then they look at it, and it's just you giving them the finger, and then they look up from the crystal, and you're giving them the finger. That's perfect. And then you spend a constitution, and it breaks open, and there's a painting of you giving them the finger there. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That, that is the new hotness. That's how you play this game. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, I want to read a quick one here. Uh, this is just something I found at a random page within this book. Uh, it is the section on how to, uh, on adventure types. It just says, out of with no context or anything, bounties. There are always bounties available. Payment is per the merit value of the suspect one silver tier per merit point. Now, if it sounds like I didn't put any constitution into that, or sorry, punctuation into that when I said it, it's cogency. <laughs> cogency. Cogency, no. <laughs> Payment is per the merit value of the suspect one silver tier per merit point. That's all one sentence, no punctuation. Except it does end with a colon to go into the payment is only 50% of the subject is returned dead. It's <laughs> my favorite sentence. Because at first you're like, oh, that makes sense. And then you realize that he's put... Like one or two too many words in there. Well, it would make sense. It would be uh, if, if it was an if instead of is for the last is. Yeah. It, it says the payment is only 50% of the subject is returned dead. If it was if returned dead, you'd be like, oh, okay, so bring them back alive or you get half. Yeah. I that's get a it. that's a fun little weird typo, I assume, that or he just doesn't care. There's also an anti-gav belt in here. <laughs> Ah, ah, the anti-Gav belt. <laughs> Fucking Gavin, get out of here. You got your dumb friend Gavin, and he always tries to cite Robert's rules of order whenever you're arguing about how to order pizza. That's <laughs> You got this belt you can put on. You just take the belt off and start hitting him with it. It's an anti-Gav belt. Get out of here, Gav. <laughs> Come on, Gav. He's like, he's like, point of order. I believe that we should uh, commit to a, a subcommittee to determine which type of topping is appropriate for his second topping. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to use this belt and deliver a motion of hitting you with it, and then I'm going to second that motion. <laughs> Gav. Uh, yep. Anti-Gav belt. I also have an anti-Chav belt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's mostly a job. <laughs> oh, Lord. yeah. So mean to the British. I hate the British so much. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to keep sending us their Chavs. Damn it! Quit sending me chavs. That's what San Diego, San Diego Bay is going to become the new Botany Bay, except they're unloading chavs now. <laughs> anyway, that was a really dumb stream of consciousness, John. Yes. What is your favorite thing about Cinnabar Third Edition? Okay, best thing in this was God. I want to say that his best idea was probably the flashback thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's the only thing he added in here that I went, oh, that's a thing you could see in a modern game. It makes sense. It fleshes out characters and gives you motivation for a player that wouldn't normally give you a backstory to provide you with that. Because normally, if you have one of those players who's like, oh, what is what is your character? Oh, my character's a badass. He uses a sword and he kills people. 
Okay, but what happened Especially in his in his sociopaths. life? I don't know. His parents are dead. Okay, great. Whatever. His whole family's dead. Everyone's dead, so you don't have any hooks. Yeah. Oh, uh, he doesn't like anyone. He's never loved anyone. Everyone he's ever known is dead, and he's real sad, but he doesn't care. Village destroyed. Moving on. Anyway, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Awesome. But it gives you something. It gives you a reason to say, oh, yeah, back in the day, my character used to do ma. That was when I had an onion on my belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah. So that was probably the best thing. What What do you think in this book is the best thing for you? Is it cogency? Oh, cogency. You know, cogency. You know what I think about cogency? Cogency. It's a perfectly cogent question, John. Thank but no, you. I'm going to say I'm going to say my favorite thing in this book was the simplified combat. We might as well get the two things in this book that were interesting out of the way. <laughs> so they simplified the combat dramatically. In the first book, the combat was nonsense. We did two episodes and we barely talked about it because it was impossible. Oh, yeah. It didn't make any sense. The it math was, just, was insane. Yeah. It, oh, we didn't even get into it. In the first book, there was this whole, or second edition, there was this whole thing called protection factors or just factors or something like that that were uh, your, they were the magnitudes by which you reduce damage. So if you had four protection levels then you reduced your your uh, damage incoming by a thousand percent yeah in this game instead you have a pf which is a protection factor and it's a percentage by which you reduce things yeah so you can only get up to 99 yeah so you can reduce incoming damage by 99 percent except the damage coming in will have a pdf or bp a bpf a bypassing protection factor value so if the bullet's coming in as a BPF of five, it will bypass five of your protection f- factors. Hooray. So that's a whole new annoying thing. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in this combat book, that, in this game's combat, that is still garbage. But the core element of how you roll it made a lot of sense and actually rewarded damage. It was fairly smartly put together. That was kind of cool. Great. Meh. Your least favorite thing. This is going to be the interesting part. This is, ev- this is what everyone's here for. <laughs> this is what everyone wants. This is the money shot. Okay, the probably the worst thing in this book is cogency, and I'm not doing that as a joke. Cogency? <laughs> the fact that literally everything in this book has some manner of cogency, and it's different depending on what the item is cogency? and what you're trying to do. The cogency of my cogency is cogency. Cogency, cogency. The cogency, cogency. Sunshine on, on my, my cogency. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the the weird thing for me is that you end up getting things where it contradicts himself on that, like with the mist crystals. Yeah. Sometimes he wants to do things by weight, which he wants to do a lot. Sometimes he wants to do it by like square footage. Sometimes he wants to do it by the cogency mass. He doesn't have a unified theory for things, and that's what he feels like cogency is. It's like, oh yeah, everything has cogency. That's my just unified stat, except it's not because it's different for everything. Oh yeah, and a lot of the time when he doesn't use it, he's still taking things that have been universally simple in every game up till now and making them complicated for no reason. Armor is priced on the dollar per... or It's it's uh, done on a value of dollars per centimeter you are tall. Yeah. It's so, how much does this cover... How many centimeters of space? And then you have to figure out, okay, well, it covers this much of centimeters of space. Now, how much does that armor then weigh? Because then per kilogram per centimeter, you figure out how much you pay for it. Remember how in other games when you want to buy leather armor, it costs 20 uh, money units and you just buy it and you put it on? Not in this game. In this game, if you're 90 centimeters tall, it costs 
90 money units, which in this game are dollars. Yeah, well, they're silver tier dollars. Yeah, like one of those uses the dollar sign, which yeah. fine, whatever. Well, he also uses the word dollar a lot. Interchangeably with yeah. silver tiers. Yeah, whatever. Eh. So, okay, there you go. So your least favorite thing is the overuse of a core stat. Yes. All right, and the fact that it changes every time he uses it. Yeah, it's if it was one unified thing, like cogency is just one thing and everything had it, I'd go, that's a good idea. That's great, sure. But it's not. It's different things for everything, and you'll never know which one. So would you say, for example, that this game would be the perfect game if it was actually a Smurf simulator and the word cogency was replaced with the word Smurfiness? Yes, that is true. In fact, that has redeemed this game in my eyes in that everything has a Smurfiness mass and my Smurfiness is my constitution times merit equals Smurfiness. <laughs> That's how much Smurfiness you have. In order to bust through your Smurfiness and render you a low and unhappy person, I must do 30 damage in Smurf cogency to you. All right, so if I Smurf you for 30 Smurfs, then your Smurfiness is going to go down by 30 Smurfins. Smurf. <laughs> I like Smurfin' as a unit of measurement. <laughs> the Smurfin'. Yeah, by Dr. Reginald Q. Smurfin'. God damn it, that's amazing. All right, so let's see. My least favorite thing in this. Yes, what is it? My least favorite thing in this game is the amount of awesome shit that was removed <clears throat> from 2nd Edition. Yep. This book is so dry and boring. All the cool shit that made the, the last game. Remember, folks, we actually recommended the last game. We were sort like, of. we didn't really say go play it, but we did say go read this thing because it's nonsense. It is incredible, beautiful nonsense. Yeah, the he has apparently divided the game up into a player's guide, which is what we have, which is all the rules, and then like setting guides. Yeah, but even then, he's changed the way it works. Before Cinnabar was around a star, and there was a couple other planets that maybe you went to, but mostly it was the fact that you're on a crazy fucking planet that has another whole planet inside of it. And you can do crazy adventures. Yeah, the, the world was enormous. In this, he for some reason, he decided that the world, while the biggest game world I've read since Bronchosaurus Rex, is not big enough, he needed to add a whole bunch more planets that you can also go to via warp portals and the fact that the, the uh, world ship moves once a year. Yeah, there's a dark month where the world ship moves through space for one month and then shows up at a new planet. And then you fuck around on that planet for a year and then you go to a new planet. Yeah. It's just so, he, he, whatever reason, the thing is, all of this information we're giving you now about how there's all these other planets and you go to them randomly and they're called uh, Altamonts or Ultimates. 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 Alt planets. Alt Ultimates. Alt planets. Okay, I, I figured it might have been alternate continents, but whatever. Anyway, you jump to all these alternates with their weird descriptions. All of them are a Cinnabar-like world, except it's been cracked in half and there's forests on the inside. A Cinnabar-like world, except it has been taken over by carnivorous plants and they want to eat your blood. Oranges. <laughs> a Cinnabar-like world ruled by evil armies of gaybos who are bent on destroying your dick. A Cinnabar-like planet, except it's made entirely out of acid and lava. Lava <laughs> acid. But totally Cinnabar-like other than that. <laughs> yeah, they, they always use the term Cinnabar-like. Anyway, all the cool setting descriptions have been relegated to little tiny sentences and short stories in the margins. There's no crazy fun to this book. No, it is... It's just rules now. Yeah. Even the cool art is mostly gone. Yeah, you get a few little art pieces, but mostly it's just wall-to-wall raven chicken-scratching McCracken, and it's insanity. Yeah, it's just fucking... I mean, there's a few pictures left, but there's my underboob Valkyrie is long gone. Oh. All my favorites, long gone. No tree demons anymore. Yeah, no. well, I don't think there was that. 
ever a tree demon. We had to kind of guess at what a tree demon looks like. I think we decided a, a little tall, red Ewok. Yeah, a tall Ewok is what it was. It's a tall, dapper Ewok hipster. <laughs> exactly what the tree, the gay tree demon of of legend. That's the thing, though. We were describing all. We got so much fun out of the last Cinnabar book, coming up with Chester Balloonman and the tree demon and the winged warriors and their and their gang of, uh, of awesome improvisational actors. Live emotion. Live emotion. The <laughs> live emotion. I just remembered that. It's so good. There's nothing there's nothing to grab onto in this one. There's no fun hooks. No, it's terrible system with nothing that is remotely redeeming about it to the point where you go, okay, well, the whole point of this, instead of uh, adventuring on your rad world ship, is now to go to alternate planets every year? I guess. And which, who cares? I can play Traveler, which yeah. also has a garbage system, but whatever. At least it's easier to use. <laughs> anyway, Raven Cuckold Seance McCracken has has moved on. It used to be he was the fun kind of coke addict. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he was the kind that would show up at your party and he'd be like, "Woo, we're going on a road trip!" Oh my god! Oh my god! I just got an eight ball in me. Let's take apart this typewriter. That was the <laughs> that was the kind of guy he was. Let's drag this thing into the woods. Now he's the kind who'll like suck a dick for some horse. He's he's moved on. He he's gotten to the bad part of being a coke addict. <laughs> I like to you're imagine thinking horse. Yeah. No, okay. I like to imagine he's doing it for a horse. <laughs> like there's, there's a horse. Some horse in the background. <laughs> yes. Yeah, do it. Come on. Come on. That's good. Yeah. That's not, I'm imagining it's my dick, but it's not though. It's no. Not, no. He he's it's, doing this for me. <laughs> this is this is a little game. Yeah. Oh, ass to ass. <laughs> Well, that was me. That was my ass-to-ass joke with a horse. God damn it. Would you play this game, John? No, definitely not. It is terrible. Uh, It's incomprehensible. And if it got to the point where I could play this game, I would feel bad for myself. Sure. So would you play this game? I'm I'm scared of even trying to make a character now. We have to go make characters now for the bonus content. I don't know how. (laughs) I've been reading this book for a month, and I don't know how to make characters in this. I know that there's... I probably have to do something with cogency... Probably. I know at a certain point, one of the things we didn't even get into is that you have to split your stats into three blocks, and the blocks are when you are null, nullified, nullified, which is when you are kind of reduced or slowed or anything. It's a universal stat block for when that sort of thing happens to you. Normal and powered up. Power up. Yeah, you literally get altered beast stats in this game. Right from your grave. Welcome to your door. <laughs> That was a great game. Uh, let's go play that instead of this. Oh my gosh. Someone make an Altered Beast RPG and get that to us immediately. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. If you could get that done and then mail it to all the inhabitants of the town of Venderant. <laughs> that would be awesome. They're going to need it between rugby practice. Yeah, that's what they do. They they play rugby and they play fucking Altered, Altered Beast, Beast the have, RPG. They also have a couple of Sega Genesis. But there. they play they as hard as they play. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Neither of us would play this. It is not a recommend. Uh, it is an interesting read, however. That is Cinnabar 3rd Edition. Yep. As always, this has been the System Mastery Podcast. If you uh, want to hear more, you can always check us out at System Mastery Podcast. Follow us at our various social media outlets. They are all System Mastery. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, you name it, we're there. Do all of the standard things. If you would like to uh, re- request a specific RPG, by all means, either mail it to us. You can get the address by mailing me. Or uh, just send us PDFs. We love PDFs because that way we can read them at work instead of working. 
Well, you can. I work for a living, goddammit. Me too. I actually haven't done that at all. I've been a good I've been a good little employee and I have not read a single page of Cinnabar at work. Not that I would want to. No. Work, work is more fun than reading Cinnabar. <laughs> that is true. All right. So uh otherwise, if you want to subscribe to our Patreon, we highly recommend it. It gets you our bonus content, uh, which is awesome. Yeah, and this week you'll get to hear us go absolutely insane yeah, while we try to smart. decipher these random arcane scribblings and figure out how to make a character. Try to make characters in this? I don't even know. But our Patreon has been a wild success. As always, we want to thank our active subscribers. We are now recording on fancy microphones and sitting almost 10 feet apart. Almost. Oh, it's great. I can barely smell them. Yeah, it's so good. Just every once in a while, he'll adjust his chair and I'll get a waft and I'll be like, yeah, that's the Jeff smell I remember. <laughs> I like how that wasn't angry or anything. No, it, it's nostalgia now. I've been away from your stink for so long that I'm like, oh, that takes me back. <laughs> nice. So uh, the, the new goal, because we do have some cool new equipment, the new goal is going places. We're going to try and make it to various conventions and yeah, so on. Yeah, our new goal is going places, baby. Yeah, get aboard. <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> get on board this train. We're going places. Yeah. Our new goal is to start attending more conventions, putting ourselves out there. Letting you come out and meet us and yell at us. Do, and try and get our peach cobbler. Try and get the cobbler. We're going to have to set that new goal for if you can find us, you can have our cobbler. <laughs> We're going to be like leprechauns, only with cobbler. Ah, <laughs> oh, the leprechobbler. <laughs> anyway, so that's the new goal of the Patreon. By all means, support us. Maybe you can get us to come out to a convention in your town. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening, and have a lovely week. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.